Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Daemonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. Recently, I had the opportunity to attend a gathering of Setians in the city of Austin, Texas, and in particular, a talk given by Dr. Stephen Flowers, author of Lords of the Left-Hand Path, Futhark, and numerous other Germanic and runic books, and more recently, his Zoroastrian books, The Good Religion and the Mazdan Way. This was a great talk on Mazdan ideas and their relationship to the left-hand path. It's a complex subject, so close and yet so far away. But really, the more you look into it, you start to realize there's actually a lot of evidence suggesting that what we're onto with the left-hand path, and especially the Setian approach, is actually the original way. I want you to pay particular attention to Dr. Flower's discussion of the Fravashi in this talk, which refers to the divine aspect of the self or soul, the holy guardian angel, the daemon, and literally means those who have chosen, or some might say, the elect. And another key takeaway from this talk, I feel, is the metaphysical basis of personal responsibility. In Mazdan cosmology, everyone who is here on planet Earth has made the decision to come here and so is responsible for what they do here and their experience here. There is no such thing as original sin in the Mazdan way, just as there is no such thing as original sin on the left-hand path. Therefore, no sense of entitlement is morally justifiable. And about an hour into this talk, Dr. Flowers gives us a demonstration of some Mazdan magic. Now, I'm betting a lot of you will find many of the elements here, bell, fire, water, to be familiar. And then he starts chanting some gathas, which is just absolutely amazing. So without further ado, here is Dr. Flowers discussing Mazdaism and the left-hand path. Now, uh, I have a couple of books that I will uh, make reference to and I just pass them around so people can look at them. There's a couple of uh, books that I've already published on the subject. And as I've said before here, uh, another book that more... Uh, to, uh, useful to everyone here would be the new book coming out in September with Inner Traditions called Original Magic, which is sort of like, uh, if you're familiar with my earlier works on runes and things, it, it kind of like Nine Doors and a little bit of like Futhark in the sense that uh, it's a whole curriculum for an individual person working alone uh, working with these uh, with this system to have a curriculum of initiation, self-initiation through a systematic study of the certain symbols 
uh, in this case, they are the azatas that are attached to each day of the uh, month throughout the year. And uh, that's the, the, the framework of the system and how it works. Now, our subject here today is uh, the idea of the left-hand path and the Mazdan way. And I, the article or passage that I wrote for the Athra element goes into this in some uh, detail. And so what, we all know what the left-hand path is. Right? That is, some people say, oh, it's a path of self-deification, of uh, the full uh, sovereign manifestation of my individual being as an individual, not melding with the universe, not melding with God, etc. Uh, and a path of non-union, that kind of thing. And then we saw, we said, well, that's probably a pretty, quote, evil, uh, antinomian kind of thing. But when we look into the past and we see traditional uh, systems, whether it's in Japan or whether it's Indo-European or wherever, we see that this is not necessarily all that antinomian. In a heroic type society, people stand out as individuals and it's unusual, perhaps, to become thought of as a god or a demigod and having your, uh, after your death, to be worshipped and that sort of thing. But we see that there are, like, people become gods in Japan, they have a living commune and all that sort of thing. And we see that in heroic societies where, uh, God, men are, who are here are great heroes, their mounds are built, they're worshipped. They're, but who worships? Well, their own descendants do. It's a family. That's, you say, well, what, I'm not talking about Well, that sounds like something akin to the cult of the saints that the, that the Catholics have. And of course, this is probably where they got the idea from. But the difference is that they are focused totally on manipulating the population they are converting to their religion by saying, don't worship your own ancestors. That's forbidden. And the indicolous, this, this document that says these are pagan and horrible practices that we can't stop the pagans from doing, and one of the horrible things they do is worship all of the dead as if they were saints. What they want you to do is worship their company men. Only our guys, you know, not your daddy, not your grandfather. He's in hell. He wasn't a Christian. Okay? But we want you to worship our guy who's some obscure North African monk or something, but you're gonna he's the guy you want to focus on because he's one of our company men. So but uh, again, you go into the traditional world and say, well, it's not that way. They are uh, your own people, your own family you know, can be that. And you aspire to be one of these things yourself. What is a little bit unusual about the Mazdan way is it's optimism. And that is the idea that we are all destined to become one of these things. We are all going to be there. No one is going to be 
damned to eternal damnation, punishment, etc. We are all destined eventually for perfection and immortality. Everyone is. And so that, it's that kind of optimism that really sets it apart, I think, from others that one might study. Well, what is the Muslim way? What is this thing? Well, the, the prophet Zarathustra, who lived probably about 1700 BC, we know this from the language he left behind, that it's that old as far as language is concerned. People argue about it with things like the language that that's, doesn't lie. You, it's like, if it's that old, and, it, he might, and it's obviously by one person, then uh, he must have been there. Well, this is the language it's in. So somebody, so we have this stuff that sounds like Elizabethan English, but probably he was living during the Elizabethan times. Not older, but not now either. So that's how we know that that's the approximate time of his life. He lived in what is now Central Asia, around the Aral Sea, probably in that area, uh, in uh, what is now Kazakhstan or whatever. But at that time, it was a lush pasture land. The climate change occurred not too long after his life, and it started to turn into a desert there, but it didn't look like that then. It was lush pasture land. And uh, the world he lived in, he was a priest of the uh, Indo-European religion, uh, reciting priest who recited the part of the rituals. They were extremely complex rituals, took days to perform, teams of priests doing them, and uh, pe uh, people so bought these, uh, the, the wealthy uh, men bought these sacrifices for magical purposes. They weren't for salvation and at the time of this Vedic age. Uh, it was a heroic age. People thought this world was great. They wanted sacrifices to be performed for them so that they would live long and prosper. You know, they wanted long lives and prosperous lives. And they, but they were became these uh, warriors and uh, pastoralists, uh, cowboys really. Uh, had these great herds of livestock and so forth. But they that they uh, sacrificed them in huge amounts for this magical purpose. And he was a priest and he saw that they were abusing the animals. You know, we're killing too many of them. And, uh, and, and the people are indulging in intoxicants to a too great a degree. They were a bunch of ruffians, you know, savages. I mean, his own people, he was just saying, this is out of hand by the way we're living. It's very bad, it's very uh, cruel, mean, uh, savage. And so he uh, saw that uh, there must be a better way, a more, a kinder, better way uh, to, to live. And uh, in the crisis of a lot of things, he, he, he started to, to meditate and, and isolate himself. And he came, an insight came to him, Dainat, the insight that all of these gods I've been worshiping as if they were entities that we could appease through sacrifice and say, give me great power, O Vayu. And so I'll sacrifice cattle to this God, and then he will reward me with 
long life, prosperity, victory, etc. Said th these things aren't real. That the only thing that's real is consciousness. Is is the mind? Is the thing that I'm experiencing here and now at this moment? I see it. And he was the first person to see that sort of thing. So that th this is a, that th these are all. Uh, derivative of that thing. And he, he met this thing in silent meditation. That was the way he got to it, even though he was a reciting priest. So, this insight, this dhyana, uh, gave him the message that this thing, which is the, he named, renamed it a slight bit, uh, the name that they typically called the god of consciousness or the mental god was just Ahura. It just means the Lord. But he said there's something else here. There's uh, something else going on. What he is, or he, he, Ahura, is more and different than this. It is what I am, have this insight that it is Ahura Mazda, which means Lord Wisdom doesn't mean Lord of Wisdom or the wise Lord really. It means Lord Wisdom. And it means that wisdom is there too. That is the fe a feminine component. That Ahura Mazda is both male and female. It, it is an it, not a he. Uh, it's beyond that. It's dyadic, but not dualistic, you see. Uh, it's not a separate two things working. It's one thing with two parts. And once you have two parts, you have infinity of, of possibilities. So that's how uh, Ahura Mazda presented itself to him. And so, and the other gods at first, just historically, he, he just said these are all just abstract principles, the other things that we call gods. There's only one God, and that is Ahura Mazda. But subsequently, the Iranians said, well, this is not really, we don't do this, this is not working for us, it doesn't feel right. And so as time went on, all the, most of the old gods were brought back into the pantheon. And so what you have is a monotheistic and polytheistic system working side by side. So the other gods are seen to be derived from the principle of Ahura Mazda, but also have their own uh, individual sovereignty. Not absolute, of course. They're more like uh, the retainers or bodyguard of uh, Ahura Mazda. But they were reintroduced to a lot of the most of the old gods. But also abstract principles like recitation or uh, ritual truth and things like that, abstract principles totally were considered to be like gods because that's the way they were interacted with in the system. So that's how uh, uh, Zarathustra came to Ahura Mazda. But now what about us? What about this left-hand path? And where do we belong here? Well, there uh, is no other system I know of where you say the person, the human being, the soul of humans, is actually part of the pantheon already. 
on the 19th day of the month of every Zoroastrian month, which is 30 days, most of them have 30 days in them, uh, which correspond exactly to the degrees of the zodiac, so that each degree has a divinity attached. You've heard of this from other systems of magic, I'm sure, but this is where it started. And so you see that that's each one has a, a divinity attached to it. And the 19th day of every month is dedicated to the Fravashis. And this is the way we can just generally Fravashi. F-R-A-V-A-S-H-I. Normally, this is spelled like just that. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, uh, really the word means those who have chosen. Now, you probably sound familiar with uh, the Germanic concept of the Valkyrie, the choosers of the slain. There's a choice. There's an election involved in the name. And we'll see specifically what choice it is they have made. They know what the choice we have made already. See, although the Hebrews took a lot of their ideas from the Zoroastrians, the Persians, and so forth, uh, that almost everything was run through a prism of confusion. And it was all wrong when it came out the other end. Because, like we know from Christianity, it's about choice, but it's only about Adam's choice. Adam chose to disobey God. And so, original sin, so we're all damn sinners. It's like we talked about earlier today. We're all no good. You're all a bunch of bums. You know me. You're no good. You're damned sinners. That's what you are. Why? Because Adam chose wrong once back then. Of course, that all ties in. Now you're in need of our company to, you know, to give you the antidote to the poison that your great, 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 great granddaddy messed you up with. So you've got to come to us to get it. And you've got to pay us to get it. So it's a kind of a scam that way. And that's what it's that's why everybody. It's like, uh, let's invent a sort of an anti-human ideology, make people think bad of themselves, and then give them the, the thing that's going to heal them, make them better. But in this case, what we see is that uh, what happened was Ahura Mazda created a world. It was perfect. There were animals. There, everything was perfect. Seven creations were made. And everything was great and fine. But there were places down there in the shadows, in the corners, in places that were just beyond his control or its control. And out of that started to bubble up bad junk called the divas. Now, how do we know this is the case? Have you looked around? You know, people say, is there evil? Is there really evil in the world? Is there really all this bad? Is there weakness? Is there sickness? Is there death? Is there fear? Is there all these things? Are they, are they here? Are you going to die? Yes. 
Are you, are you, are you going to get sick? Yeah, all these things. I, it's, uh, all the things we see, uh, we're surrounded by obvious manifestations of bad things. To deny that it's here at all is just crazy. Rather than deny that it's here, fight it. Fight it in you. Fight it in the world. Uh, and so that's the thing about Ahura Mazda is, you see, the, the, the Christian, you know, Christian theology is nonsense because it says what? God is all-powerful, all-seeing, and all-good. Can't be. Can't happen. That's a lie. That's not, there's no, nothing like that. Because, as we've all probably all gone through this in our own minds, if God is all-good, why doesn't he make a good creation? If God is all-powerful, why doesn't he destroy the bad stuff? You know, why is that? Why did he create? And they come up with all sorts of gymnastics in their minds to try to come up with them fancy explanations to why this is. But if these three things are true, then something is wrong. You know. And those three things aren't true. What did the, what did the Zoroastrians or the, the Muslims say about this? Is that and what the, the tradition says is that uh, Ahura Mazda is not one of those things. It is not all-powerful. How do we know that? Again, look around. Is there evil? Is there bad stuff in the world? Is there ignorance? Is there stupidity? Is there weakness? Is there uh, sickness? Is there all the things that none of us want to have in our lives. If we could not have it, we would want to get rid, rid of these things. And of course, that they're there is a part of the thing that we that's what spurs us on to, to resist it, to, to push beyond it, etc. So it, it fulfills that function. But it, uh, but it shouldn't be there ideally. And so Ahura Mazda says, I, I've got a battle on my hands. I've got to fight this stuff because it's coming like a cancer, starting to eat at my good creation. Everything that I did that was good, this thing is starting to create bad things. There are bad creatures in the world that need to be eradicated. Now, actual Orthodox Zoroastrians kind of go crazy with this. You know, say so anything that's ugly, you know, like a lobster or something like that. Just like, that's why, like, a, you know, like, you know, H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, look at that thing came from the bottom of the sea. It's a terrible looking thing. Well, it's like the Jews are, well, we're not going to eat that kind of thing because it is a damn ugly. That's where they got that from, too. But, uh, but there are a lot of evil, but it doesn't take much, just like the Germanic cosmology that talks about the roots of the, of the tree and it has these little worms eating away. Uh, thing, uh, things like that. Well, it doesn't take much of a bad thing to really mess the whole thing up. For example, you get a virus. There, you know how much, of, how many, how much of weight of your body is that taking up? How much is that actually in your body? But it can destroy it. So it doesn't take much of this junk to really cause things to become non-functional and to kill off the, the, the creation. So he, he acted very fast and said, we've got to get a, a, a action going here. We've got to uh, uh, 
to, to fight the, this onslaught of, of things coming into the creation. And I, I'm going to need an army to go down into the material universe as, as it was created, as Ahura Mazda created it, and you will be familiar with the, this model, not these words, there's just two levels to reality. One is called Menog, and the other one is Getik. And that's just the spiritual world and the material world. And both are equally perfect in Ahura Mazda's universe. Both are equally holy. Both are equally exalted. Just This one just came first. That's why it's modeled above and below. But both are of equal goodness. The Gnostics, uh, Banachians took this model and because they were pessimistic and optimistic turned things around and said that matter is evil, the body is evil, the spirit is good, the body is evil, the heavens are good, the earth is evil, and all the material things are evil. The, this model they took and just and twisted it. But the, and, and this is one of the great misconceptions about the uh, Mazdan tradition is that it, it partakes of this mistake, this error of thinking that says the world is somehow evil. The Zoroastrians are the uh, it's a system of creative what at first glance and at first when I first heard of it and for many years I thought this is a crazy idea that something that the Jews had and, and taught to the Christians and then some Christians like oh, that old Gardner Ted Armstrong and people like that would preach to that there is no heaven. We're going to be resurrected in the body on this earth. And that's going to be what the paradise and so forth is. And that's actually a Zoroastrian idea that the Jews took over. Uh, but, you see, with this thing, it's like if the, earth, if, if the spiritual world and the material world are equally holy and equally good, then there's nothing saying, well, we want to get rid of these bodies that are, you know, but why do we want to get rid of them? Well, they're sick. They're get, they get old, they get sick, they get tired, they suffer pains, aches, etc. So we get sick and tired of them, and we want to get rid of them. But if they were perfect and you were just like you were 15 for, you know, for all eternity again, hey, you know, and everything, that would be perfect, right? You got, so you'd have a spirit now, don't you? You have a body now, it's just kind of, you know, like mine, gets old and starts fading. You know, so, uh, but it would be better the other way. It would be a best, ideal, perfect. And so that's what Zarathustra taught, that we return, and this is for Nietzsche, yes, Nietzsche, of course, didn't harp on Zarathustra, except to say he thought, well, it's like he taught moral, uh, uh, duality, but hey, as, as Nietzsche's career begins, I have a whole art, article, chapter in the Mazdan way about Nietzsche showing this. Uh, Nietzsche's 
philosophical career began on a certain afternoon when he, he had a moment of insight and he wrote a poem about it, Sis Maria, and said, uh, at that moment, Zarathustra passed me by, came, came into my consciousness. And at that moment, then he, he, his philosophy changed. And of course, his last sane moment was in defense of a, a horse that was being beaten. So it was, uh, he began his philosophical uh, endeavors with Zarathustra and he ended it, his last sane moment as a Zarathustra. So, uh, but this idea that there's this eternal return, that we return to the beginning of this beginning where everything is perfect. That is the ideal. And I say, if, if Ahura Mazda is all wise and is, uh, and is uh, good, then only good will be desired for its creations. So, uh, nothing's going to be punished. Now we're going to get into the real interesting part of the story. Where uh, he, this has to be fought against uh, that there's this shadow coming up in here attacking and there's bad ideas, bad spiritual things, bad uh, material things impending on the creation. He needs an army. So, where am I going to get these? Well, I have these guardians of, of the of fortress, as it were, up in spiritual realm. And there are all of these entities that protect me. And I'm going to insinuate into the minds of these entities the right choice. When I pose the question, who will volunteer to enter into physical bodies and fight against <coughs> these evil encroachments. And unanimously, the roar went up, I will. And all the Fravashi, they made that choice. At that point, they got their name, Fravashi, the, the ones who have chosen, the ones who have volunteered to enter the fray. And we are all, according to the tradition, manifestations of that. If you look at the fellow here, I have a real problem, most of us probably do, of being misanthropic, right? Kind of despising our fellow man. You know, look at that idiot over there. <laughs> you know, it's just like you just kind of just, that's just what you feel. It's like, but, Say the, the what I what's not likable is that's because you think they're other and they're this and that you just have this misanthropic feeling about them. You say all these people are have volunteered also. Now they have also, the, but each person we are we are in a battle with these with these creatures. We are in a battle with stupidity, ignorance, weakness, all these things that are, that are attacking us from the moment, and as you're hearing these words, you are, your minds are under attack right now. 
to say, like, this guy's an idiot. You know, this is stupid. Whatever it is, that there's, that's the communication. Everything that we try to do is, is attacked by, in the, back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, people say, oh man, he's like playing tapes, old tapes in his mind, you know, that his parents say this shit to him and that, and his friends and this, and, and all this stuff is going on to interfere with your ability to deal with life and to be happy. That's the ultimate aim of this philosophy, because that's your litmus test. Am I getting it? Am I really working? Am I successful in my work? It's happiness, the, the Zoroastrian greeting, and uh, it's kind of like the aloha, you know, it's a ushtate, happiness to you. That's what's wished for other people. And so you're constantly under attack. As a human being, it's from the time you come out of the womb or before, you're under attack. And that's why you are a, that's why Ahura Mazda is not going to say to someone, you are, you're terrible, you're a horrible, you've done terrible, awful thing, you believe the lies. That's what they, they talk about, this, the chief diva is called the lie, the druge. And what is the lie? I, for a long time, I said, what is the lie? They say it's the lie, but what is the The lie is that you are stupid, that you are bad, that you're going to die, that, uh, that, that you're bad, that the world is bad. All these things, all these things sound pretty believable to me. Well, there's the, that's, that's the dive that you've got your, gotten to your head. See? And so by thinking, uh, correctly by overcoming those thoughts as we've talked about here today also elsewhere by, by overcoming that by being and, and thinking positive thoughts and insinuating another set of ideas and take to replace those that is the battle that is like coming with a sword and lopping off the head of the diver you are just slashing through these things as you think good thoughts, as you speak good words, and as you do good acts. That is the essence of the battle and the fight. Now sometimes a Persian emperor might you know, break out the archers and massive armies in order to fight against liars and other forms of Greeks and whatnot, <laughs> but uh, oath breakers and drunkards like Alexander or whatever. But uh, you know, but and that's again this uh, uh, this idea that acting in the material universe is nothing uh, bad about that either. But but you're going to act if you're acting from a point of morality of fighting the lie, being in control. This is what these Persian emperors said, you know, I'm in self-control, not reacting or overreacting to anything that comes my way, thinking rationally and uh, acting strategically in order to uh, expand a zone on the earth that is subject to good thoughts, good words, good deeds, the truth, and peace and prosperity. 
And so that's just what makes it at least an environment in which people can possibly start to take, the, take it to the next level of fighting on a, a, a higher battle. But as long as people are subject to all kinds of mundane uh, appetites of greed and, and destructiveness and murderous rampages and whatever, and they're addicted to that kind of, well, those kind of lusts, probably the higher things are, they will never get to them. So that was their reason for trying to, to have a, what was supposed to be a worldwide empire of all peoples. And the way that they thought of it, Cyrus the Great was the sort of architect of the Persian, first Persian empire, was the idea that, uh, hey, uh, somebody said uh, they had uh, Greeks or uh, talked about philosopher kings, but they spoke of gardener kings. So to have a garden, and of course for the idea of a paradise, paradisical garden uh, is uh, this Persian idea of the four quarter kind of garden and garden. They actually did their, you know, their own planting and garden, because this is how it was a kind of a meditation. And the idea was that the earth and the whole world as cultures uh, are all over the empire and all of them uh, deserve their own space in the garden and they are to be cultivated, encouraged. You'll say like, we're gonna try to make, oh, we have a lot of different kinds of flowers here in this garden. Uh, it would be probably better if they were all just red roses. So let's just all start, just do that and get rid of everybody else. No, uh, the empire is full of all kinds of different people. So when he would conquer someone, a people, he would say, you can have your own gods, he actually outsmarted them in psychological warfare, conquers Babylon, comes in. They have this god Marduk. He says, oh, Marduk sent me to liberate you. And you can just keep worshiping Marduk all you want. Why was that? Why didn't he say, you better start worshiping Ahura Mazda. That's the real God. It's the only real God. Everybody knows that. Why don't you uh, worship Ahura Mazda like I do? Well, that sounds coercive. You cannot coerce a man's conscience. You cannot coerce a person's conscience to think, believe, or do the right thing. They have to come to that on their own, from themselves, from within themselves. Even arguing with them is not ideal. Present, show, and and. And, and provide freedom. So you've got to choose for yourself. Not because I'm creating a circumstance. Like choose to live as a Christian or die here as a pagan. That's your choice. That they like the Christians or the you know the Muslims have adopted this idea. But of course, what they do is then chop the guy's head off. They chop his uh, wallet off. You know, we're going to tax you. We have tax incentives to kind of make you into a Muslim over time. But uh, that's where they got that idea from, this Zoroastrian Persian idea that, uh, that uh, you can't coerce a person into a new faith. And that, but it was just practice. That's why, of course, there aren't many Zoroastrians left in the world of actual people from that are the actual lineage of Zarathustra uh, because 
the tricks that were used by other religions were just never used. It would be a violation of the, of the very principle of it to use any kind of coercion. So now Ahura Mazda has his army of Pravashis to fight, which are who we are. And so we endeavor as humans to develop this Pravashi, which comes to be called by others later on the, the holy guardian angel of a person. So when, for example, Crowley Abram Alin talks about uh, magic being the gaining of the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel, this is the mechanism that was being spoken of. That is to become your own pravashi, your own divine spark, your own part of the divine. That that to gain knowledge of it, in other words, to get be informed by it, and to be able to exchange uh, your essence with it, so that you become more like the your this ideal self that was uh, inherited from. Uh, the world at that uh, time. So that is what the purpose, or the highest purpose of magic is, of this technology of symbolic action. So Zarathustra developed a system, and that's why our word magic comes from the priest class of the uh, ancient uh, Iranians, the Bhagavan. And the Maz Maga was this, because uh, Zarathustra was uh, illiterate. They, they didn't have writing back then, just like the Vedic, the Sanskrit people. And they didn't have writing, they, they learned these uh, texts, as it were, uh, verbatim, orally. And so there has to be an institution. He was contrary to the established uh, tradition of doing this. He was introducing a new idea, a different idea. So therefore, he had to set up a new organization. And the fact that it worked, and it really exists, is we have many centuries, many centuries later uh, in Sasanian times, let's say, in like 200 of the common era, they start to write this stuff down. All those centuries later, and what do they start writing down? Well, what this guy's memorized, what does he come out with? A form of the language that's from 1700 BC that has been memorized. Does this language even exist anymore? No, it's just been passed on orally in this, which for, for that to happen over centuries of time, over many generations of time, part, one person to another to learn verbatim whole books of information, you realize what a social, cultural power is being expressed there? They have a book. Wait a minute, you know, we haven't thought about this for a few generations. Let's go to the library and dig it back up again. No, it's not an option. 
You've got to keep it alive. Person to person. Complex. That's also the power uh, of the flame. Of this idea that there's a flame that is kept alive. It's not because there's there are versions of this or places in Azerbaijan and so forth where there's like oil or gas coming up out of the ground that's been ignited and it's like keep, it keeps going and that was a Zoroastrian holy place but not normally. Normally you have a urn with a fire in it and a person has to come and keep this thing going 24-7 and there's one in uh, Iran, even now that the Muslims have not, not, not extinguished, never extinguished, and uh, it's been burning for over 2,000 years, attended by humans. Okay? So again, the fire is not the miracle, the words are not miracles per se, but the social and cultural thing that has to be present, that strength, that, that is incredible when we think about it. I mean, compared to our fickle culture, it just goes from fashion to fashion, passion to passion overnight. And you have something sustained over centuries like that. And uh, it was sustainable because it works. People don't stick with something like that because it doesn't work. Don't stick with something in the face of every kind of opposition, in the face of every kind of uh, of violence and oppression unless it works for them. So the Fermashis fight and fight by practicing first and foremost good thoughts, good words, good deeds. That goes uh, beyond just what uh, those superficial things. Good thoughts are quality thoughts, powerful thoughts, not like good like Oh, doesn't she look lovely in that dress? <laughs> That's a good thought, isn't it? Uh, you know, probably it's, it's, uh, no, it's too stupid to be good. You know, it's not you know, you know, it's not a namby payment. It is a quality thought, powerful thought, true thought, effective thought. Words, good words, again, effective words. Powerful words, lasting words, memorable words, words that work. And the same thing for deeds. That's what's good. Uh, that that is, you know, nice is one thing. Good is 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 better. Right? Is a bigger form of nice. So. That's, that's the way the fire, but their magic is a specific way in which these practices are done in a very symbolic way, I suppose. But again, everything we, when we talk about a Mazdan approach to the world, it's always somewhat difficult to, to remain and come back to the focus that, that, that the, the something is equally good when it's material as when it is spiritual or mental, that the physical is just as good. And that's why good deeds are seen to be superior to good thoughts. First of all, a good deed usually has to start with a good thought before it becomes a good deed, but so that the final manifestation is the final flowering of the process, so it is superior. 
but it has to be brought to fruition. That's a superior form. Uh, the purpose of magic is, well, well, first of all and foremost, is the development of the pravashi. As I said, the, the, uh, gaining knowledge of it, gaining uh, uh, information and power from it, and it is from, from you, from that part of yourself which has is your true self, really, uh, that you have been divorced from through the lie. That, oh, you're not really that good. You're not that powerful. You're not, don't have those capacities and those potentialities. No, you can't ha have that. That's silly. That's nonsensical. That's egomaniacal or whatever it is that, that the druge needs to say to you to stop you from paying any attention to it. Okay? I mean, that's the main thing is to stop you from thinking these thoughts, to stop you from doing these things, and to, uh, you know, get back to watching uh, cable news or something. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that's the word, you know, you can get back to paying attention to what the lie wants you to pay attention to. So, uh, training, equipping the self, equipping the fravashi with the things it needs, uh, to uh, and to work and fight to develop uh, itself and to attain the, this level uh, or to glimpse these levels of, of uh, uh, perfection and immortality and to gain happiness because when you get when these things start happening, a person becomes increasingly happy. So, in the case of, of let's, let's uh, pause there for a moment and say, are there any uh, questions or comments uh, at this uh, spiritual line? Mm -hmm. You said that the spiritual line, wrong and the material wrong, uh -huh. relied upon one another for this. They must yes. exist together. They must exist and, together. And, and yes. interact. And, right. So that one actualizes the other. Right, that's the that's the perfect state. Now, the, this the menog precedes getting simply, but like a blueprint precedes the building. Right, you know, it's, it, it's, it's got to be a mental yeah, construct first. In the case, in this case, in the mental construct of a Mazda before it's actualized or constructed. Uh, so there's a sequence there, but it doesn't say well the blueprint is the real building, then the blueprint is really the, the more the good version of the building. The actual building itself is kind of, you know, right. we don't think much of that. Uh, that would be like saying the idea of and the design of your body is the good part, but your actual flesh and bones this so we're talking about the ideal so therefore they are e equally uh, good in that sense that's one of the things that uh, uh, is so easy for the lie like what the Gnostics and the Manichaeans and so forth just swallowed that lie and said it's so easy the lie, the lie wants you to think that you're the physical world is bad and 
or your body is bad or, or whatever. And so it's an easy lie for whatever reason. The reason being, I think, is because of the lies that's what it's telling us. See, that's why it seems like easy to believe. Sometimes the truth is hard to believe, but lies are easy to believe. So there's a good historical example, it seems like, say, you tell somebody something good, and tell them back, say, yeah, that's right, that's the truth. You can accept that truth. Yeah. Move, move with it. Right. Or or uh, use it to further the, the process itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, uh, scholar. This wasn't uh, something out of the holy uh, tradition or anything, but uh, scholar. Uh, you know, let's uh, characterize the Zoroastrian religion as the practice of creative evolution. And that is that human beings, this is another thing that must be emphasized, I recall, uh, is that human beings, as a form of the Fervashis, uh, being uh, recruited and uh, volunteering, are absolutely necessary for Ahura Mazda's victory. Ahura Mazda must have us succeed. As opposed to the idea that God, the Christian God, Jewish God, doesn't need mankind. He created mankind to love and praise Him of their own free will. And when they did not, then He condemned them as damned sinners. But He does not need, He could end what He's all powerful. But this says, Ahura Mazda's power must be exercised through the troops of Ahura Mazda who are human beings. And so it is we have to win or have to do our part in order for uh, final victory to occur. It's like, you know, like God's going to come in and take care of it for us if we just believe in Him. And just you know, or, or don't <laughs> do anything naughty in the next you know, whatever, whatever. We just gotta just sit and be nice and good, and wait for him to take care of us. You know, that's the only really good way to go about it. No, it says because uh, Ahura Mazda is not all powerful. Again, how do I know that? Look around. If all, if an all good entity were all powerful, then X, Y, and Z would not exist. Because that would have been long since smoked. So uh, it's just, again, it's logical. That's another thing about the, the Zoroastrian religion as opposed to uh, Judeo-Christian religion, which likes to always appeal to my word, mystery. Why is it this way? It's so crazy. So it's a mystery. There, there are mysteries, but that's not well, these are these are mysteries created by a system which has said, I'm going to create a system that 
well, I'm going to repeat the lie again, so I'm going to hear you again. But I'm going to create a system wherein it's your fault. Everything's messed up, and it's your fault. And this uh, entity is going to how are human beings, individually or otherwise, saved? Through God's grace. Did you do anything good to, uh, to uh, earn this forgiveness? To earn this salvation? No! What? You are sinners. Adam sinned, you're sinners, you can't, you're now no longer, doesn't matter what choice, any choice you make for the good is a sign of God's grace. He allowed you to do good. He made you do good. Because you can't do good. Why? You're a damn sinner. Okay? So, all you can do is come and take the Kool-Aid. Uh, now, you know, and then get the stuff, and that's. But this says, no, that's not what's being said. This says, uh, humans are 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 good, are, are necessary, and uh, are potent agents for do good, doing their life and everything that they do honor. Yes, exactly. And it's and did you do for yourself and for your fellows? But off, but you're improving yourself, perfecting yourself is doing the work, is fighting the fight. So that's where this idea of the magic, where this is the original magic that you by by perfecting yourself, by evolving yourself. It's one of the exercises I have is a little bit different than what I might have in, uh, in the nine doors, for example. Is like when you're doing a kind of a personal analysis thing and you're saying what are my negative traits what are my positive traits etc well one of the things I would ask someone to do as a original magician is to in you are a god in potentia you came from a divine so what come to know it see it Get glimpses of it. In other words, you could put it another way, if you were a god or a goddess, I don't know that these things don't really have sex, so. but that part, at that level, it's human. You know, it's humanity, all humans. So, uh, the, what, what would this entity be like? And all of them are different. All these Ramashas are individual things. It wasn't, we aren't all, so there's like this gook of divine substance that we were all kind of dipped out of. These are already individuals up there. And now you're all still individuals down here. And when you're perfect, you will still be individuals. So, you, you're, you have a divine nature now. You have you know, a god or a goddess within you. What does it look like? What's it? What is it like? What is it? What are its characteristics? You know, what, what does it look like? What does it act like? What are its? And then you see the highest potential that I could possibly be. Envision it. Step into it. It's like the assumption of God forms, except it's not. I'm not stepping into Osiris or Anubis or Set or anything of a god that I am not. I'm stepping into my own God form. Because that's what you are. Individually and independently and sovereignly. Except 
Elsewhere, you don't see submissive. Well, this, this is a system that teaches you that or tells you that about yourself. And it's just said, oh, be more like, you know, St. Nicholas. You know, well, be more like, you know, like Catholics are trained. But this is your saint's day. You're going to like, like that saint. You emulate. Are you like that saint? What would Jesus do? Or, or any kind of other thing, a pagan or, or not. You know, say, uh, to, to become like a, a, a god. But another god. If somebody like, I'm going to be like Thor. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Where are you going to find a frost dragon? <laughs> Where are you going to find a frost dragon? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Two quick Egyptian comments. Uh, when the way of Mazda came, you know, brushed up against Egypt, uh, it left two traces. The first trace was very early. Uh, it left a nickname for Seth, because Seth then became known as the Mede, i.e. the Persian one, uh, which I'll let you or whatever you wish to from that. But in the time of late antiquity, about the time of Christ, uh, the methodology came into Egypt and certainly other places in the Middle East that the way you contacted your higher self, your angel, was not by going to a temple, but a two-part thing. One, in some way you cut down the sensory input usually by tying something around your head. And then the spirit would come, which was your spirit in some sense. That's very different than the thinking of everyone else, like I'm forming allegiance with a god, which is a more common thing. But this did show up in the, the magical pyrine, uh, as well as in Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Matthew, Mark, and um, the other guy. Uh, <laughs> We know. <laughs> but this, this technology was a secret technology, but it was seen as a powerful one. But it repeats that same idea of I cut off the input, I know where I'm going, and then it's usually seen as something that comes from above. Of course, in Christian Gospels, it becomes a, a dove, whereas the actual Egyptian book that tells you how to do it, it says it usually shows up as a falcon or a sea eagle. Yeah. One of the things about these interactions of cultures is uh, that because of the Persia was a great and expansive empire, one of the things people realize about it is uh, that Persians, per se, there were some other Medes and Persians pretty close together but as far as culture. But for the most part, is, uh, in the time of Cyrus, 500 BC, let's say, um, there were uh, 25 million people in the Persian Empire. Only one million of them were Persians. So for the most part, they were just kind of like administrating. Now, most of them were staying close to the home, you know, in what is now southern Iran and southern Mesopotamia. And they had a huge road system Pony Express, our famous uh, New York public, uh, and uh, the uh, New York uh, uh, post office there. There's, you know, the neither storm nor snow status courier from his appointed rounds. That was from a description of Herodotus of the uh, Persian courier system. 
that the emperors had so that they could quickly <coughs> traverse messages from one part of the empire to another, the Pony Express system. But, uh, you know, that uh, they, they generally, Persians didn't interact. Now, the Persian emperors, when they became pharaohs, which they did on a couple of occasions, if not three, uh, became actual uh, Egyptian pharaohs, would go and put all the guard, you know, and then participate in the rituals to become pharaoh according to Egyptian tradition in order that the people, it's kind of like that same thing when, well, Marduk sent me, you know. It's like they had respect, true respect, I mean, for the other guy, hey, Marduk, you know, as long as you don't want, they can't, don't see, can't see, whatever, but I'm saying, I'll respect your traditions. And it, it, people get along better that way, and everybody's happy with it, you know. Uh, now, Persians themselves, like I was talking about the, uh, the uh, Bess, the god Bess was very popular in the empire. The images of Bess were all over the place. Uh, Egyptian themes, scarab beetles, little uh, things from Egyptian were found all over the, not only the Persian Empire, the Scythian, Sarmatians, all of them had Egyptian objects, you know, in there. You know, among their stuff, but I mean, just, because the trading routes are, are just vast. And uh, so the uh, Persians, you know, or Iranians, or whatever you want to call them as far as the empire is concerned, uh, didn't really impose themselves on other people, like the Egyptians or the Jews or anybody else. But they did, in the case of the Jews, for example, Judaism was totally reconfigured according to certain Persian ideas. Badly, yes. Incorrectly, yes. Not in any kind of good way, in the sense that the, the whole myth of the Garden of Eden is taken from Persian sources. The word paradise and the whole idea that there, there's a garden of Eden with four rivers and so all this kind of, well, that's the, the design of the Persian garden, artificial, that they build a garden just like in front of the Taj Mahal or whatever that has these four water courses divided into four parts and that was the pattern that was used and that's what's reflected there in that book. But uh, it's good, again, as I was talking to somebody about the idea of prestige is the way most ideas really sink into a people. It's not like, you will take this and like it. Rather, it's like these people have fantastic ideas have beautiful idea and then the whole I don't I mean I don't understand it totally but I really think it's cool. You know, that's gonna really make a whole lot more impact on people than trying to coerce them into saying, We are your masters, you know, behave like we tell you to behave. You know? And uh, that, that usually doesn't last too well. Now I passed around, uh, I hope there's enough for everybody. Uh, and I'll share a little bit there. Uh, a kind of a basic Mazdan write. I'm just going to kind of demonstrate uh, and let you hear what some of the sounds are like to uh, this, this ritual. Uh, and I, and I, this is just symbolic. We're just uh, stand-ins for 
two uh, elements. This is pared down, of course, but the two most important elements in a Mazdan ritual are a fire vessel, which can just be a candle, but you know, however you want to do it, uh, black flame, etc., uh, and a li liquid vessel. It has some kind of you know, liquid in it. Now, one of the things, uh, one of uh, Zoroastrian influence on Christian practice, and not all Sandy practice, I think I mentioned it in the article, uh, is the bell. They had a, be a bell that they were in the corner of the temple space, uh, which was to clear the air, you know, of divers. Apparently divers don't like this. So uh, they, they have a, like a mortar, uh, oftentimes uh, like the water uh, or vessel, they will ring it like that and pass it, but make it, that drives everything out. You know. So that was even before they said, well, let's have a bell for the whole space. They would do that kind of thing. Now, this is a, a simple ritual, but just the way you, know, you can uh, do it. Now, the, what's going to happen here is I'm going to have certain recitations, and then at a certain moment, I will, and this is a technique that can be applied to any uh, Sedian thing, also, the idea that there is a circuit. This is essential to the magical technology. It's more complex than this, but this is at the simplest level, that there is an electro magnetic polarity here, okay, between fire and liquid. And this, if we go back to Indo-European cosmologies, that's even in the Germanic, it starts out that there's fire and water. Now for some reason, uh, that when the fire and the wa water start to approach one another, the fire has the effect, it may not be a natural fire, that of actually causing ice to occur. So it's then when they finally meet, it's fire and ice, but it starts out fire and water. Uh, just, just a side like that. It, it starts out, it's actually fire and water. And it's true throughout all the other cosmologies. So this is uh, kind of like Iliada style, uh, kind of representation of the cosmos. And it's a, this is an electromagnetic current and I'm going to make use of that in conjunction with these words. And so the words give form, and the electromagnetic current gives power to the ritual. So that it is a sim symbolic and energetic system. And again, uh, Zarathustra was a priest versed in all the complexities of the uh, Indo-Iranian uh, magical technology and what his genius was not only in the uh, uh, liturgy of the words to take it down by to about a sixth of what it had been, so this, a lot of this is unnecessary. Also, the ritual was simplified so that what formerly took an army of people to do, two people could do, and, and also just individuals. Originally, the ritual was quite simple and was done, they didn't, 
the Romans and others said of them, as Tacitus said of the Germanic peoples, they don't have temples. They worship their God in open spaces, by riversides, on mountaintops, etc. But then later, as they became powerful and rich, they started to build temples. But in Zarathustra's time, they were just intense, <laughs> out on the in fields, they were step-type people. Okay, so uh, the, these words are written there, you can see them, and so you can uh, follow along there, uh, but just basically the sounds. As I say in the commentary you have there, a lot of these texts are, uh, we can read them uh, grammatically, but uh, the, they have power as, as, as mantras, as just meaning, just this one means this kind of thing. When we break it down and start to analyze it, even scholars will say, I translated it, you know, this morning, and I went back to it in the afternoon and it said something else to me. It has a strange, uh, even when they're broken, it says a lot of times the grammatical forms are not correct because they've been composed for the sounds they make. They approach the meaning and they generally get there, but alterations have been made for sonic purposes apparently. And handed on that way forever. So, here's, remember the fire? The, the liquid vessel. And we start off, you light the fire and you say these words. Yazdoniyod, Yazdoniyod, Yazdoniyod. Nemasete atarshmazdao. Ashem vohu vahishtam asti, ushta asti, ushta ahmai, hiatashai vahishtai, Hashem. Shnautra Ashaunam Fravashinam Ugranam Aywithuranam Ashem Vohu Vahishtamasti Ushtasti Ushtahmai Yatashai Vahishtai Ashem Ashem vohu vahishtamasti ushtahasti ushtahmai hiatashai vahishtai Ashem. Atha jamyot yatha afrinomi. And that last part everyone loves. So shall it come as I wish, which is our, so shall it be, that's it. And that's, and that's the way that the rituals end. But it says, so it will come as I wish. Dr. Flores, I see a strong connection between the relationship between the Fravashi and Avra Mazda and talk that I've heard, which I can't remember or attribute to any specific person within the temple, but referring to the relationship between Set and those who participate in the Aeon of Set, where you have this concept of a finite, not all-powerful living principle that 
for whatever reason, is empowered by empowering us. Mm -hmm. It seems almost like two different perspectives looking at the same yeah. dynamic. Well, sure. Uh, one of the things I think I point out in the article I wrote for the Athra Element, uh, so again, there's all these similarities between setting and, and Mazdan ritual mechanics and symbols and philosophy and the whole idea of the principle of isolated intelligence. That's yeah. So one thing, one thing that I think of there is um, with election, our concept of election is a really, really similar correspondence to the idea of the voluntarism mm -hmm. um, and that we, our, our, our whole existence here is based on a fundamental act of voluntarism. That's a, the, the defining thing about our existence is that we volunteered to come here and do all these things. And, and so much of this um, can be reduced to the concept of, of, of voluntarism um, versus coercion. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of the fundamental moral, moral basis of everything. And the other thing that I, I think of in relation to that, and, it, and it's no secret, that I'm a recovering fourth-way junkie. I think everyone knows that. <laughs> but you know, one of Ospensky's uh, lines in, in, in one of his many uh, lectures was he talked about um, the problem of evil. And if you understand, and um, I'm talking about this just last night, if you un understand, if you gain a really good sense of what it means to be conscious, what consciousness really is, right? Not just not just thinking a lot about this or being real smart about this or that, but consciousness, which has to do with that experience of being present and fully present. And once you gain a sense of what that really means, you begin to realize that everything that we consider is e as, as evil, again, you know, um, ignorance, coercion, um, and, 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 and all of these things. Violence. Right, violence and, and, and stupidity. All these things are actually impo impossible mm -hmm. in a conscious, yeah. in a re legitimately real conscious state. Mm -hmm. so, so at that point, you have to say, you know, actually what we've been trying to do in the Temple of Set is, is really define that sense of consciousness. And we have really been fighting against evil in doing that. And, and that is reconnecting us with, again, mm -hmm. the reason for our existence here. Our, our raison d'etre is, is, is that we made a decision to come here and, and, and do this, to, to fight the good fight. Right. Well, I see that there's uh, people, uh, you know, who, whether Church of Satan, you know, and Anton LaVey himself, I mean, these people are not, and we never were dedicated to, the, uh, to evil. You know what I mean? It was not, it was, this is good. Uh, yeah, this is the good. I mean, and of course, Dr. Freeman was always a proponent of this, just that the world is oftentimes and usually out of kilter because they, if in Mazdan terms, are beholden to the lie. But there, what's disturbing, not so much in a serious way, but irksome, I would say. You know, the, uh, I've seen in the world today, there are people, uh, some guy up there in Oklahoma, he's like, people want to be like, I, I want to be like Anton LaVey. I want to find some kind of shtick where I can be the new poobah of something that's really evil, really shocking. You know, so there's a guy that's like, there's the Church of Ariman, which is like the evil, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to have a Church of Ariman, you know. 
It's like, and then I heard in the Germanic context, now there are people, I've written this book called, you know, the, the Mirkthursche Blot, you know, the worship of the dark uh, thirsts. It's like, yeah, because I'm going to shock the shit out of people, you know. It's like, who worships you? <laughs> but it's like people who seriously worship or think, you know, like Cthulhu or something. It's like this entity, if it comes to you, it's just going to swallow you whole. Be you know? first. I uh, know, you know, thirsts in the Germanic world are yeah, just looking on the, the old Norse thing. These are like stupid, uh, you know, oafs, oafs and creatures of, you know, they're just natural, like, to, to even try to worship them would be like trying to, to appease gravity, you know. It's like a force of nature that's contrary to our, to, it's hostile to consciousness in the sense that it's just entropy and, and, and so forth. But uh, so they're not even entities that are, have consciousness. Uh, so to worship them and have sacrifices to them is just philosophically idiocy, but it, yeah, the thirst, they're evil giants. I'm going to write a book on it and have a scary cover. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's all over now. The internet and, the, you know, self-publishing has made all these things possible. And so, you know, I have a church of Ariman and a, and a Mirkthurshablot and all this kind of thing where their people are, think that they're, but even those people, probably when you get into it, it's like, they're not really doing that. It's just like a cover of a book, right? They say it's not really like that one guy. He was saying, "Well, the Mirkthursha blog. It's a, this is not. It's uh, showed up on this left-hand path Odinism, uh, you know, page on Facebook or whatever. And it's like these thirsts are not uh, anti-Odinic like some of them. It's like <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're quiet. Yeah, these are like the good thirsts. <laughs> of the West or the East or whatever. So, but, you know, why the guy, why guys do that? Uh, mostly guys, of course, because it's like, I'm going to be scared. Boom! I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm so scary and all that, and you just, uh, I'm full of power. And uh, and so they, they're looking for a, a new thing, you know, imitator of others. And, but that's what's, you know, going on. But it's because Odin is, you know, plenty has all the things you would want in that regard. Uh, and uh, just like I said, you know, about uh, Ahura Mazda, I mean, this uh, uh, violence is bad, but they're not like a bunch of pacifists. So sometimes it requires to, to, to fulfill the vision, you know, sometimes war has to be undertaken. And that's what the empire. Was, was all about. That's what but these people and the, the emperors would put up these things. And, I am, uh, you know, I am king or uh, Shah. I'm the king of kings. You buy the power of Ahura Mazda, and I have never lied. I have devoted to the destruction of the of the lie, and, and I'm here to serve the truth. And uh, and as uh, uh, the a Greek biographer of Cyrus the Great says he's the only powerful man I've had in history, of course, sanctioned this time. Uh, you know, who other peoples followed because they wanted to. It's like unheard of. And one of the things was that the Persian Empire brought to, well, there's many as 25 different nations at one point as a part of it. And uh, and, and, and they would pay tribute and that's the kind of thing. But one of the things about the paying of tribute, like the 
the Persian emperor would get all kinds of clothing from people from all over the world. He would use those duds for a year and then give them away to other people every year. It was like, uh, you know, giving things back. You know, things were given back because they liked to travel. They didn't want to sit in their buildings too long. But the, the, the active doing things in the world is an integral part of doing good. It's not pacifistic or, you know, that kind of thing. So, I think we need to call it quits there. <laughs> and end the fight, go on to the next battle. But uh, that's the thing. Thank you for listening to another installment of Damonosophy 2.0, the only podcast exploring the congruence of liberty and the left-hand path. For more information, visit our website at www.damonosophy.com. Follow our tweets at airbeth underscore trans, or join the discussion on Facebook at the Damonosophy group there. And until next time, keep the dark fire burning.